Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a red eye flight, late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind, and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today, we have a whole host of topics for you, but I think we have to start with the punch heard around the world in the Golden State Warriors facility, the Draymond Green Punch. And I am going to play a video of this punch. There's not too much sound to this one, V, but uh, you know, this this was like one of the most insane things that I've ever seen on video because you you have Jordan Poole who's standing there. They're clearly talking a little. Draymond walks up to him and you know puts his body up on him. Jordan pushes off. Draymond just out of nowhere just throws like one of the most like violent haymakers I've ever seen with like a weird form too where he kind of like jumps forward into it and uh man like the punch form was hilarious Jordan Poole just going down was hilarious I'm not sure if you saw the RDC world skit about it that was hilarious this is just like a pure moment of comedic gold to, to prep the season. <laughs> comedic gold for everyone except for Jordan Poole. He is not doing too well in his friend circle right now or in the NBA circle. It's like, you let this dude do this to you? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> or nor, I don't think it felt too good. The actual physical impact felt too good for him too. But Draymond Green, um, he's, he's, a, he's a controversial figure. I do not personally, I don't like bullies and he's a true bully. Um, he's a great basketball player and bullying does have a value on a basketball court. Um, as the psychological aspect has, but this is just out of bounds, you know, just to punch another teammate when both of you were talking shit. It's not like Draymond was keeping his mouth shut. (laughs) It's just that he heard Jordan Poole say something that he didn't like. And in typical bully fashion, he went and got in his face and just just bullied him, you know. And then, um, but this bully actually uh, <laughs> threw the first punch. Maybe if Jordan Poole punched <laughs> back like they teach us to do, uh, maybe uh, Draymond wouldn't punk him like this. But this is a Michigan. The back backdrop of this is this is a Michigan State guy and a Michigan guy. There are these true kind of rivalries that exist. Um, and Draymond wasn't just like a one and done Michigan State guy. He was there for four years um, as well. Um, and I think Ohio State fans generally, if you're an Ohio State fan and Michigan State fan, you have a shared interest in hating Michigan um, and the culture of that place. And Jordan Poole is kind of like this annoying little character. So honestly, Andy went to Michigan. So for me, it was like, uh, I didn't mind him seeing him get knocked out. <laughs> yeah i gotta say like jordan Poole probably deserved it given his reputation for how much trash he yeah. talked probably deserved i, I heard it. he was calling uh, him he said he, he was kept calling him single double or triple, triple single <laughs> triple, triple single, single. 
<laughs> Which is hilarious. And I mean, I think Jordan Poole is at this point, and I think this is where it comes from. He is a better player than Draymond for the Warriors. And I think that Draymond brings a lot of value from he brought a lot of value last year from a leadership standpoint, but we saw that his game really wasn't where it needed to be in the finals. And so he took on this role of a facilitator. I bet there's some identity crisis as he's aging in terms of what his role will be with the organization. He's not really gotten paid out either. He's going to want a bigger contract. Probably not going to happen. So at least at that organization. So it's like definitely probably a lot of factors. And I think the funniest thing to me was Draymond doing the press conference after essentially trying to be like, oh, no, no, it wasn't that bad. And even Steve Kerr essentially like being as pestered with first interview there he's like oh like you know the punch was you know i've seen like so many punches this is super normal and that was like the first narrative and then everyone's like steve well, weren't weren't you punched by mj <laughs> and then <laughs> this dude gets <laughs> he got punched one time in his life everyone wants to talk about it for the rest of his career man and like Jordan Poole's gonna gonna end up in the same situation. Yeah, but I mean, Draymond Green is no Michael Jordan. It's a, there's a there's definitely a difference between getting punched by those <laughs> by those two guys specifically. <laughs> One guy, you're like, I probably fucked up and did something wrong, and that's why he punched me. I probably deserved it. The other one is like, this dude punched me for no reason because he's just a bully. But I think you you brought up an interesting point. The people don't understand that this is you know and. Um, Former basketball player Drew Gooden told me this one time when we were talking. He said, "He said, you know, I'd rather be in your position than my position." I was like, "What do you mean, man?" Yeah, I was like, "How could that possibly be true?" And he and he said, uh, "He said this. He said, look, I'm still an employee. I'm I'm indebted. I have. I'm in an organization. I'm an employee. I have a boss, an owner. He's like, I still have all of this stuff." The money is essentially I'm getting paid, um, paid very well, but I'm still an employee. And these these weird things that happen within corporate culture and happen all the time, right? And what you brought up is very interesting. Draymond is kind of the lifeblood of the the Warriors organization. Jordan Poole is kind of like that upcoming star. Can't miss talent. If you saw the last preseason game and how he performed, maybe Draymond should punch him every every practice to get that type of performance <laughs> out of him. But um, literally, it's going to come down to the Warriors being forced finally to have to either pay Draymond or pay Jordan Poole. And, and Draymond knows where it would end if they have to choose that's going to come on, or he's going to have to take he's going to have to take a a, a pay cut to stay with the Warriors. And I think all of those emotions within the context of corporate culture or salary cap, it's me versus him. People say, oh, your teammates, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be fighting with one another. But these things happen. And a lot of times organizations drum these things up. I'm not saying the Warriors do as well to bring the best side of players. It's the type of thing Phil Jackson back in the day would, would, would use as a mental, mental mind game for both players. Um, so there's a lot there in the background that's causing this tension, not to mention the Michigan-Michigan State thing, not to mention that Jordan Poole doesn't seem like the most likable guy. You deal with him because he's really good at basketball, but you don't particularly like him. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's the vibe he kind of gives off. So all of those factors kind of play in. 
Yeah. And during during all the fallout, I saw the media machines start their narrative for this year, which is that Draymond secretly wants out of Golden and State guess where and wants going. to play with LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> guess where? Lakers. <laughs> like every player wants to play at the Lakers. <laughs> like and literally none of the rumors from the summer that was started by Los Angeles media, none of them played out. What actually ended up happening is something none of them saw, which is Russell Westbrook staying on the team and them signing two other point guards. And Patrick Beverly coming in and literally him and Russ becoming like best friends. Like that's been the most fascinating thing for me is like Pat Bev literally in an, I don't know. He said he's his best friend. Yeah, literally. He's like, if you, if you wanted me to pick a best friend right now, it's Russ. Russ, my best friend. (laughs) I was like, whoa, man, like y'all are boys already. I love that. It's good to see that. But yeah, I mean, that's what the Lakers did need, though. Like, you got a star like that. Like, you know, LeBron and AD aren't working out with them, hanging out with them. Their games are totally different. You know, Russ is probably solo all the time. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a good pairing too on uh, on the basketball court because in practice, Russ is he's going to Pat is going to talk the best out of Russ this season. I think that's also yeah that was a, a a smart play from that perspective too because. Russ is just not going to be able to just deal with the shit that that Pat's talking in practice and just dominate all season long. Pat's like a really special cat, I think. I think he has this amazing ability to bring the best out of people. And we saw it in Minnesota with what he was able to do with that team, getting getting the energy up, the fire up in that culture, which really it hadn't had before. And, you know, I think he's like, tremendously underrated as a player because of that you know he falls in the same camp as like a Draymond in terms of the type of role he plays on the team but I think that both of them struggle with like the tact of it from time to time like they tend to make mistakes with how they sit in that role and I think you can see the pressure of the situation in Golden State getting to Draymond a little bit and like his his, you know, fear of of not being able to stay in the league too much longer is definitely playing a factor. I think with Pat Bev, he's making this very smooth transition to media. Um, Draymond's trying to do the same thing. He's doing it on a podcast, which, you know, I think is inherently like a little bit limiting in terms of long term scope as a player. So, well, I mean, Draymond yeah, I mean, has done very well being in that Golden State. He's already set up his parachute because I don't know if you know this, but he's taking over for Charles Barkley on TNT in two years. The contract's oh, already really? done, so he's wow. already got his future. So he's already made. He's the already moves. made the moves, and that that's part of the issue here is that for everything that because Draymond talks more than any player in the NBA, his skill level especially. In media, he's yeah. all over everything. It's smart, you know. He's a great talking head, um, and he talks and talks and talks and talks, you know. Um, and sometimes the problem is, is that why this creates a problem for him specifically is when you talk that much and you rep- try to represent all these things, and then you do something like this, and it's not like you're 20 years old. You're at the later phase of your career, like in your mid-30s. That makes you wonder, is there still like, a full-blown immaturity issue that you have to be aware of no matter where he goes, right? Because this isn't a move you're supposed to be making <laughs> as the as the, the gray old veteran against the, the young 25-year-old player, right? It's like, is there some sort yeah. of deeper issues here with, with Draymond? 
uh, as well. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's all speculation at this point, but I mean, we can only, we can only watch as the season progresses and we'll see how this Golden State Warriors team pans out, you know, with, with our luck as fans of every team, but Golden State, they'll win a championship yeah. again. Uh, but <laughs> we'll have to see how it plays out. I think there was one other thing that happened this week that had me dying laughing to this same extent as Draymond punching Jordan Poole. And that was Kanye getting banned on Twitter um, and Instagram. And, and you know, was it everything or was it just a couple? <laughs> well, he, got, he got banned on Instagram and then he went over <laughs> to Twitter and Twitter banned him like a day later. That's kind of the process. So, <laughs> so I don't know in terms of what he, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what he got banned for on Instagram, but I do know the Twitter ban was directly related to his anti-Semitic comments. Yeah, so Kanye, you know, was did the White Lives Matter thing. Then he got mad at essentially like a bunch of black people. Then he got mad at a bunch of white people. And then he took that in the Jewish direction, and that was where the line was drawn. Because everybody knows that if you go one ounce anti-Semitic, you're off every platform immediately. Yeah, the two things you can't do in media is attack gays and attack Jews. Um, and you know, before the, before like the, the, the shock people go in shock, let me, let me <laughs> dig deeper and explain this and give it the context. I didn't do that just for Kanye value. There's a, there is reasoning behind why this is true and why, you know, the world and, and culture in general is a whole bunch of power structures. And the, the aim really needs to be if you, to, to solidify your position and your <laughs> potential, uh, longevity in the world you have to rise to the top of one of those structures and the jewish people specifically and, and the gays kind of follow this lead in media they they control much of media and much of the media narrative as well as much of the legal industry um and gladwell actually talked about it in his book the outliers of like how that whole thing of like even the jewish attorney having the Jewish attorney came about. And basically what happened is during the Great Depression, all these Jews started law firms um, doing <laughs> all the work that nobody else wanted to do. Like, and that was like, you know, nobody wanted to do mergers and acquisitions or business work and turn the midst of the Great, Great Depression. So that work was looked down upon at that time by lawyers and they took it on. And now pretty much all of the top 10 law firms by volume of business are Jewish firms. And that's the same is true for the entertainment and media industry. I mean, this is why that you get canceled so quickly because the people at the top of that power structure are the ones that are actually being offended. If you're not, it, it's, it seems like this is true in America in general. It's like there's sympathy if it's not you, but everybody feels it more when it's directly related to, to you. And I think, Black Americans specifically in America, that's kind of the thing that they that that's hard for them to explain to other minorities, which is like you haven't direct deal dealt directly in this country with this bullshit. I know if you're Indian or you come from a British colony, you dealt with it, but you don't know <laughs> what it's like to deal with it here and then also see other groups when they are attacked, the resp the disparity in response there versus the response when racist stuff comes on with police that's what this whole kind of to give the whole thing context this is the genuine and authentic reason why you know black americans are are, are so upset at culture 
yeah. because no, it's 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 a great point you're making because that I mean ultimately that is the crux of the matter here is that you can't say shit about Jewish people or gay people, but when you talk about black people, it's fine. I, I would even venture enough to say you talk about you know many other races, it's yeah. fine, and it's purely an ability to enforce your views type of thing. You know, it's it's who's in power, and I, I think you nailed that. That story, the Jewish people are very proud people. They've been persecuted in recent yeah. memory, and it's very painful to them. And they're, they're, they worked very, very hard to put themselves in a position where they would never feel that way. Yeah, and they're going to exercise that power um, whenever they can, quickly and decisively. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's just what it, it is what it is. It's a hard pill to swallow, but you and I always talk about understanding that there is a game being played. Like it's, if you're playing the power game and you are, if you're not getting to, if you're not figuring out or manipulating the system in a way to like find a space in that power structure, then you're going to have a lot of trouble, you know, um, generally speaking, if, in that world, it's not going to be fair. It's not, the, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fairness isn't yeah. the way the world operates. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think there's, you know, a, a big learning lesson from how the Jewish people yep. move that should be taken by anybody trying to, you know, make the argument for their race. Like the big thing with, you know, any sort of, any sort of minority. And I think this is where, um, you know, the the Indian ecosystem in America is doing this, and I think a lot of people are missing it. Uh, but Indians basically run most of tech. Yeah. Like in in ten years, basically every company will be CEO'd by an Indian American. Yeah. And when it gets to that stage, if you say something against Indians, the Twitter CEO, the Google CEO, the Facebook CEO, they'll all be yeah. Indian people and they'll be able to, I mean, obviously we don't, I, I don't really feel like we deal with that kind of discrimination here, but like that, that is, you know, in my view, how you play the game. I think it's, it's, there's like a strange, like similarity that I've experienced between uh, Indian culture and Jewish culture in, in my times, you know, in Israel and going to Shabbat dinners and hanging out with my Jewish friends. And, um, it's like so. It's so freaking similar, man. Like it's the same values, it's the same upbringing. There's and one distinct difference though that like, we do need to put, point out, right? I mean, yeah. What is Jewish it? people generally are one for all, all for one. We were kind of the difference. The challenge that we have as Indian people is the caste system. Even it carries mm-hmm. over when you come over here, and then also the ingrained competition that that creates. Um, <clears throat> although we do, we do unify around certain issues. I don't think. We have the same sense of um, just general Indian community because of that, right? And so I think there's a lot of like weird, and you we've both seen that culturally, like the competitions that even start when we're kids about whose kid is doing what. It's like a it's like this competition with each other. Whereas the Jews, Jews, it's like once they see someone else in their culture doing something, the whole community gathers around and actually uplifts and tries to help them make. It. You know what I mean? I think that that's. Yeah. That's an important difference that we 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 should we should point out in terms of like uh, culture. That's a really yeah. good point. I mean, that's and and that's <laughs> actually one of the causes of animosity around the whole WeWork story is that he didn't go venture capital. Yeah. He went to his his people, 
And the entire thing was basically funded by a few Jewish people in New York, especially through a lot of the early stages. He never let any of the major VCs in, which is why there were so many vocal tech folks rooting for his failure. They love, 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 love. And, you know, seeing somebody fail when they built it on their own with their own people because they weren't dependent on the structure, right? They like people who are part of the structure hate that. And I think this, this whole kind of thing, you know, where I think about like Kanye and like that, that example that he set, it's like his, his posts, at least the first ones that I saw were like, there's three Jewish people after me is what he said. Something like that. It's like, why do you need to put the word Jewish in front of people? Well, uh, the sentiment is the everything, same. Everything all Kanye is trying to do, it's chaos. I mean, this is like it's I'm I'm searching for the article that that explains how simple what Kanye is doing. He has removed himself as a human being and having morals, all of that. He looks himself as a product and he does all the things just to trigger. He's like, I'm if I trigger this, I'm going to trigger this because it's just going to keep me at the top of the headlines, right? And up until this point, maybe it is a good strategy because it seems like for whatever weird reason, I have not been able to understand this, no matter what he does, how much he disrespects groups, people still buy these Yeezy shoes and Yeezy merch. I don't know if it's declining or not, but it seems like people are separating the product from him in terms of purchasing no one seems to really care i mean i i gotta be honest his shit doesn't stink like it's really fucking good product like everything he touches i appreciate yeah you know sonically it hasn't hasn't been at the same level the last few years but i mean just college dropout enough is enough for me that he could do whatever the fuck he wants to do mm-hmm. for the rest of his career. I'm still going to buy his stuff and listen to his music. Like that's the irony. See, I think the thing is the thing that I see with Kanye is he's that guy that reads these books and looks <laughs> at them completely in for black and white, right? Like he'll hear a statement like <clears throat> you should never care what people think about you. And instead of just like being himself, he, he does all of the things that would make people pissed off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you can just tell there's a guy with a lot of trauma here, a lot of identity issues, a lot going on. Um, so some of it is definitely, a lot of it is probably mental health, but there's also a part of this that is measured, calculated, um, and done intentionally that should not be ignored or should be ignored. Let me correct myself. Probably should be ignored. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you subscribe to uh, the microchip celebrity theory, maybe his chip is malfunctioning <laughs> right now. You know what I mean? There's a lot of either ways that, that or it's he, he's out, a pawn but... that's being used to piss everybody off before an election and drive us yeah. into a war. Who knows? Speaking <laughs> of uh, the upcoming election, I think that's that's a really good segue into the next topic. This is a time of a lot of chaos on in media. It's a time of people, you know really going above and beyond to try and get your vote or get you to hate somebody else. And I think it's really important during these times to really police your attitude toward yeah. others and make sure that you're operating from like love as a central operating principle. But I do want to shout out, you know, you also see a lot of policy yeah. happen right before the election. And the biggest one was seeing Biden pardon all these marijuana possession offenses, which was very long overdue. I'm really, really happy that we saw that saw that happen at the federal level. 
And that's the type of thing that we need to be actively moving forward as an agenda in this country. I'm very happy to see that. And now kind of on the flip, he also made these comments that we're in nuclear Armageddon right now and that, you know, war is highly likely all these different things. And, you know, we've heard it from others um, in media as well. And I think it's really important to counterbalance that there will be good things that are done that make you excited, that make you want to vote for someone. But there's also methods of fear that the media uses to try and get you to vote for that person as well. And when there is the idea of war, it not only leads to economic growth, but it also leads to stability within a country and stability in terms of like fear-based votes are still votes that you can get. And so everyone's different. They're hitting different audiences with different approaches. And you just have to look at the entire political system as that. Yeah, it's it's so funny, right? Like if you it's it's kind of a interesting way to look at this, but there's a game being played here, right? And the thing that a lot of, you know, valuable figures in history of of social change have said is like focus on the progress. How the progress happened or like what the motivation behind the progress, try to remove that if the progress actually happened. Right. And I see that with this specifically with the marijuana laws, clearly the marijuana laws and the student loan forgiveness. These are both tactics that the Democratic Party is using to gain more votes with without us really knowing how much intentionality and how much genuine interest is there, because I'm already seeing that he's scaling back some of the student loan forgiveness that he initially promised. This low-level yeah. marijuana thing, this should never have been an issue, right? It's almost like they hold these with real people's lives on the line. They play these games where they determine whether or not those people belong in jail. So how are you going to c- recover for the fact that you have people who've been in jail for 20 years for these low-level drug offenses? And you created some of the legislation in your time as a senator that created some of these laws it put us okay. We'll repeal it now because we need your votes now. It's it's it gets ugly when you think about it that way. But the truth is that it's sh- these people should not be in prison. So as long as the legislation is passed and these people are no longer in prison, whatever political games are being played is the tactic here. You shouldn't really worry about that too much. Now on the flip, with the second topic that you brought up, which is him kind of saying that we're facing nuclear Armageddon. You know, this is also very political in, in, in why it's being done, but is it an effective strategy? Because I think the thing we take for granted sometimes as Americans, we talk shit about it all the time. But when you really realize how much of this world is really like an arms race where there's a war going on, there's not people, it's like a silent war that's happening between the world powers, and it is all based on military power, right? And part of this is Russia is infringing and trying to take on, take over Ukraine. The biggest fear for the U.S. is the USSR coming back together in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so that's why we're supporting. It's, it's a game. It's like, why are we supporting Ukraine? It is part of a bigger tactic, which is the United States wants to remain the world's only major superpower from a military standpoint. V, well said. And, you know, on that note, we're, we're going to wind this one down. Um, as a reminder, you know, always be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out.